Welcome to the Hurricane Labs podcast. I'm Heather, and today we have a few of our team members here to talk about what considerations and steps go into establishing a SOC team and what you'll want to consider when deciding if that team will be internal or if you'll work with an MSSP to manage your security needs. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Uh, hi, my name is Brian Kerrigan. Um, I was part of HL SOC team for many years, and I've moved over to our search development team. Uh, but I can provide, I'll be providing some insight from my SOC days. I am Dusty Miller. I'm part of our uh, SOC tier one team. Um, so I handle most, handle a bunch of the alerts that come through our SOC every day. I'm Austin. I've been with Hurricane for the last year and a half as a SOC T1 analyst. And I'm Steve. I uh, oversee our security operations team. I've been in Hurricane for as long as I can remember. Since before time. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today, you guys. Uh, why don't you go ahead and first help us figure out why exactly we need a SOC team at all? Steve, why do we need a SOC team? So, I, I mean, I think why you need a SOC team, um, if you look at most of the uh, major security breaches that we've seen over the last, you know, however many years you want to look at, uh, one of the things that keeps coming up as a recurring theme is that uh, there, there, was, there was something going on and nobody was looking to see that. And I think that's, that's kind of the role a SOC performs is, is constant monitoring of what's going on in your environment from a security perspective. And that's the kind of thing that helps you stay you know, at, at, or try to try to get one foot up on the uh, on the enemy here. Um, so you know, really, I think a SOC is something that that a company really of any size needs to look at. But especially as you start building more of an online presence and um, start opening up what your what your uh, attack surface might look like. Um, you know, there's a difference between a a small local bookshop that has one little website running on uh, some hosting platform and um, you know, a giant uh, e-commerce kind of uh, retailer. So um, I think SOC is important regardless of that. Um, uh, on the smaller end, maybe your SOC is just uh, one person who's on call all the time. And on the higher end, it's a 24-7 team with, with lots of different options in the middle. And also there's MSSPs who kind of serve as a SOC as a service where they, either they can just be initial investigation or triage however you want to have them perform that capabilities but that can take some of the pressure off of your yourself as a company to look into the initial investigations as well as a lot of the time these mssps have a lot more experience looking at the different activity going on in your environment which is probably a good point obviously we offer our SOC services as a service, um, but obviously some other uh, companies might have their own internal SOC teams. So obviously there's many different ways you can go about setting one up. Do you have your own? Do you have it provided for you? Is it a hybrid of both? Um, so a couple of different ways you can look at that problem and how to solve it. And um, maybe we can talk about the benefits of doing each one of those. Yeah, and I think it's important to, to kind of distinguish what we're talking about here, because, um, you know, for, for a lot of companies, security is one team, is one department, and that includes the people who are, you know, running the, running the security tools and also responding to alerts and 
also making policy decisions and also doing deep investigations if something really bad happens. But, you know, that the SOC is one specific function inside of a security program. And, and, and for, for, for some companies on the, on the bigger end with a bigger security, bigger security team, um, you may, you're going to have people who are dedicated to functions like, like uh, SOC, which is kind of a tier one alert triage, basic eyes on glass kind of function versus a, an incident response team who's going to do deeper dives into confirmed, uh, I don't want to say incident or breach because I know that those are scary words, but uh, a confirmed, a, a confirmed event issue that issue uh, that, that needs deeper investigation. Um, and then you, you're also going to have, uh, you know, threat hunters and threat intel experts and and, and it may be that in, in your business, your security team handles all of those roles. Um, we are specifically talking about the, the SOC role today. I guess, um, like, what kind of expectations should you have uh, when you're looking to, to choose starting your own SOC versus going with, say, an MSSP or a SOC? I think Steve kind of touched on that, at least initially, on you know, the different, different breakdowns uh, that as part of the security program that you can have. Um, so yeah, like you said, uh, expectation-wise, uh, if you have an internal SOC or an external SOC, uh, do you want them handling multiple tasks out of that pool? You know, Do you want to do triage and deep investigation and threat intel? Uh, so delineating exactly what that team will do uh, and will the, if they'll work with others um, whether internal or outsourced um, or handle it all themselves um, is definitely a good first step in kind of drawing up a plan of what you want. I think another important thing you have to do up front is you have to decide, um, you know, what kind of coverage you need your SOC to have. Um, so maybe you need that to be 24 seven. Maybe you don't, maybe a, a security events can wait until the morning um, in your, in your line of business. Um, I think that's probably less common, but I'm sure there are scenarios where that applies. Um, and really what kind of, what kind of budget are you working with? Because that's going to affect how many people you can hire. Can you, can you staff 24 seven or do you need an on-call rotation? Um, and on-call rotations for a SOC can be difficult because, um, you know, you're trying to strike a balance between, you know, monitoring enough to avoid, uh, the kinds of scenarios that you want to avoid, but not alerting on so much, especially with an on-call team where you're overwhelming them. And so what, off, what we often see happen is, um, you know, companies will only notify the on-call person of critical priority events, but um, the, initial, the initial detection that a SOC receives could be a lower medium that upon investigation is actually that critical event. So there's, there's definitely visibility concerns uh, as you start to explore what, what kind of coverage uh, your team needs. And that's, that's a good instance where you might want to explore partnering with somebody who can provide that 24 seven coverage. Um, if you don't have the staff to do that. Well, in addition to staff to budget, but also help you determine, you know, what kind of tools you're going to have available. Um, obviously to get visibility into different parts of your company, you might need to be purchasing software or platforms or hardware uh, to kind of host those or, or spin, spin the different tools up, such as like antivirus or different monitoring tools. So I'm sure that plays a big part in budget as well. I mean, you might be able to speak more to that, Steve, than I can. But. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And it's, it's a, uh, you know, part of, part of the cost of a security program in general outside of just the people. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's, uh, again, if we're talking about how you make those, make those, 
or what you, what you need to consider upfront before you make the determination of how you want to build your stock. Um, one of those is what are the what are the platforms that you expect the SOC to, to use? Um, and then how is that something you know you can procure internally? Is it something that you rely on a on a partner to provide? Um, and and you know what again what kind of what kind of coverage do you want? Are you paying for um, the latest greatest endpoint monitoring and also the latest next gen firewall and also are you doing SSL decryption and these are all these are all things that provide additional coverage but have a budget hit and so there there are things that you need to consider as you decide what data your SOC is going to be monitoring. Yeah, that's probably a good segue as as far as budgeting, what kind of tools you're going to get or what kind of data should you be monitoring from a security perspective? I mean, obviously, we I know we have uh, certain focuses on what we build with uh, when we're working with customers, but uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about the different types of data you should have visibility to, you know, regardless of whether you're handling it yourself or outsourcing it. I believe that's where our big eight PDF that we have kind of comes into play. Uh, things like proxy logs, firewall logs, network logs, endpoint, you know, the more and more that you have visibility to, keep in mind as well that if you're going to be rolling your own SOC, that's more things that you're going to have to keep up with and maintain, adding to the additional complexity of you know keeping your SOC program running. And I think just as important as um, you know the the data is is really having a comprehensive uh, picture of of everything that you own. Um, yeah. One of the scariest things is, you know, you collect all the data and you think you've got total coverage and then you find out that, uh, that oh, the business has this, this other division that, you know, kind of runs itself and we don't really think about it very much except that their credit card processing system just got compromised and where, where, where are the alerts for that? And it, it turns out that it's, it's something you hadn't considered in your, your data inventory. And so that's important too, it's not just which types of data, but where are all of the places that provide that data and making sure that you don't have any corners of the company that are unmonitored and uh, exposed. I mean, I think the uh, recent SolarWinds Orion compromise shows the importance of knowing your assets. No, like I have heard via Twitter and other sources about companies who either didn't know if they were using Orion or where they're, where it was being running. So when you hear of a big compromise like the Orion Sunburst one, if you don't know what you're running on your systems, you have no real starting place to look into whether or not you might be impacted. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like I know definitely from, from my time in the SOC, uh, like, and especially as a big part of uh, working with Splunk like we do, um, the like assets and identities, uh, knowing, you know, what you're what all your systems are, you know, what their addresses are, what your what your different networks are, as far as like who your users are, you know, what departments they're in, uh, if they have different, you know, obviously their manager or their contact information, having all that information, at least for our purposes, like helps us as an external service get a better understanding of perhaps an environment. And even if you weren't didn't have an external SOC, if you don't have one team handling everything being able to have that kind of information available to the people responding to your events or issues or whatever you're calling them is a big key in, I think, ensuring a good flow of information when something happens. If they have to second guess, if someone has to second guess themselves every time they see an event on, you know, what is this machine or, you know, whose machine is this or where can it be found in the company? 
I think that definitely throws a wrench in the works if, if you constantly have to ask those questions every time something happens. So definitely building out a good picture, both for yourself and if you're working with an external provider on, you know, what hosts you have, where are they, who are your users, like how are they you know, connected, the more of that you can build out, the better. Yeah, I think every organization has some amount of tribal knowledge uh, that's, um, you know, just floating around in the minds of everybody uh, who works there and who's been there for a little while. And that's definitely one of the challenges is whether you have, whether you're building an internal SOC or partnering with a, uh, an external SOC, uh, unless you're going to only repurpose existing employees as SOC analysts, you're going to have to hire new people who aren't going to have all that, that knowledge and establishing the place where you want where you're going to keep track of those things and making sure that it's a, a standard process to keep it up to date um, is, is a really important step. And it's, it's, it's certainly not, I, I certainly wouldn't call it a requirement of implementing a SIM, but you, you're setting yourself up for success better if you have all of these things. Uh, not, even, not even fully implemented, but just, just have them in, your, in mind and um, have some awareness about them as you start implementing your SIMs so that you, you know what you know and you know what you don't know. <laughs> Tongue twister there. And, and even a good flow from that too is once you know what you have, then figuring out exactly what are the biggest things that you want to protect or monitor or you know, just in general keep an eye on. You know, what, are, what are your family jewels per se? What are the most important things, you know, if I think you've you've said it before, Steve. You know, if this if this were to break tomorrow, you know, are you is the company now out money or is the company stunk? You know, what are the most important things to be monitoring? And having the obviously mapping out your your assets first helps with that. But then obviously, I think as a next step is then determining what your what your priorities are in relation to the security. Well, that you're even on top of that, for. even on top of that, um, you know, sometimes you're required to monitor certain things. If you're in a PCI environment or a healthcare environment, there's certain things that you have to monitor. So you kind of have to roll that into you know, what you're planning to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think, I think uh, Austin, that's a good point that, uh, that we kind of didn't talk about. And that's, you know, what is, what is the goal of your SOC? Um, because, you know, in some cases, you, the goal of your SOC may be to you know, have better visibility into things and respond to security alerts and make sure, you know, lower your time to detect and time to remediate and those kind of big metrics. But sometimes, sometimes the requirement is, uh, or the goal is that you have a requirement from an audit. And that's, that's a valid use case for having a SOC, having a SIM. And it's, it's something you should be honest with yourself about. If that's the only reason that you're doing it, then that, that just kind of guides your decision-making along the way. And all of the all of the choices you make are about what's what's in scope for for this audit and what are the audit rules and what is the audit or what is the the compliance standard we're looking at require us to do and you just follow that path. Um, but if if your if your goal is more you know general holistic security, then that's where you you, you know you're not making decisions based on the compliance and uh, hopefully the decisions you make that are that are the the good security choices you want to make, hopefully those line up with your compliance. And if not, you need to kind of plug the gap somewhere along the way. But identifying that the goal of, of the, the SOC uh, program is, is just as important as any of these other conversations we've talked about. Yeah, it's true. And an audit can definitely provide like a roadmap for your initial use cases and get the ball rolling per se. You know, obviously, you know, Austin mentioned PCI. So maybe you have, you know, maybe you're so in doing sales and you need to protect credit card information or uh, you're, you're in healthcare and you have to protect, 
patient information. Um, you know, though that can be your initial compass, the point you towards, okay, do I need, need to protect or I need to keep an eye on authentication, for example, one of our, one of our big eight that we mentioned, you know, who's logging into what, you know, is it allowed? Is it, is it expected? Um, you know, it can definitely kind of point you down the road of where you should start uh, keeping an eye on things or what to keep an eye on per se. Also try to figure out a way to get metrics for what you've been doing. Because one of the biggest things you hear about uh, IT security is that it's a sunk cost where you only see the cost if you're breached. But if you are able to create metrics that show the value that you provide, that can either help maintain the budget you're getting or even increase it so that you can do more with your monitoring and such. Yeah, the uh, the paradox of uh, of being in charge of a SOC is, you know, your boss comes to you and says, "Hey, you're not, we're we're not handling any uh, breaches. We haven't we haven't had any major incidents. What exactly are we paying all these people for?" Uh, but then also, when you are handling a bunch of breaches, the boss comes to you and says, "Hey, why uh, why are we having so many of these things? What are we paying everybody for?" So yeah, having going into this with a set of criteria that you think define what success of your program looks like. Um, I mentioned time to detect, time to remediate. Those are those are metrics that matter whether you have a SOC or not and showing some improvement on them may be what you can use to justify you know, the budget requests, whether at some point somebody's got to answer to a boss who signs a check. And the 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 more the more things you can point to that that were not good before and are good now, the more you can you know ju- continue to justify that that cost to the business. But if you're just starting out though, and you don't have like a platform to already gauge those metrics, I mean, like what would be your, how would you maybe initially justify starting a SOC or building, building a SOC, whether external or, or in, in the internal one or an external relationship? I think that's where you start to get into something uh, along the lines of, of risk management. And um, that is, is definitely outside of the scope of trying to have this conversation. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think in general, what you, if, you're, if you're trying to start a SOC, you probably have a reason for it. Maybe that's just that, you know, you know that you need a SOC and you don't have one now. Uh, maybe it's in response to you got breached and the company wants to spend money on security to make sure it doesn't happen again. Or or maybe it's a, a compliance or audit requirement. But, you know, that, that idea is coming from somewhere. And think about it from what problem are you trying to solve? Um, and, and the metrics will come from there. If, if the problem you're trying to solve is compliance related, then, you know, the metrics to success are, do we check all of the boxes for, for the, uh, the compliance standard? If the, if the motivation is that the business got breached and we want to, uh, you know, we want to improve security, then see if you can find a way to measure how many incidents did you have last year and how long did it take you to detect them and to fix them compared to, um, now you can measure that in your SOC program and see those numbers go down over time. So uh, it, it, tying that back to the motivation, I think will help you f- figure out what, where the, uh, the metrics that you, you need to measure come from. And what, you know, you may d- identify metrics up front and as you start to measure them, they don't make sense, but you discover new ones that make more sense. And, you know, like, like I said, measuring with just volume of alerts is, uh, is kind of a paradox because neither end of that spectrum is good. <laughs> but me- measuring measuring with time to 
time to contain, time to remediate. The the metrics that are in the uh, the you know most of the incident response frameworks that exist, um, those are very common ones to try to decrease over time. And you may not have a a baseline to start with from before you had a SOC because you haven't measured those things before. But measuring them yeah. as you roll out the SOC to show improvement is, I think, how you would try to do that. Yeah, I think that's where I was kind of coming from. Was if you obviously if this is a new endeavor for you, what do you tend? What would you focus on versus if you already have a team and trying to develop metrics around how that team is doing? Yeah, unfortunately, if it's not something that you've tracked in the past, then um, you know you could try to go back and and recreate some of those metrics, but um, it may just be better to to start and start fresh and and move forward with uh, measuring that. You know, just decide today we're going to start measuring that. And even if even if you haven't started building your SOC program yet, you can still, you know, I've seen people do it in Excel spreadsheets or Word docs or SharePoint or Google Docs or, you know, any of those options. Um, just just start recording what you do and how long it took. And, um, you know, as you as you get to build the program, you can, you know, formalize that a little more. But um, there's no reason you can't start collecting that information now. As you as you start preparing to build out a SOC team, let's say we were going to build our own internal SOC team. It, it, you know, assuming we didn't have one or knowledge already, where would we start? What do you guys think? What do we need to figure out first? Probably what our most important, I guess, what our crown jewels are in the company. Like, what is the one thing we do that needs protected the most? If, for example, if we're a healthcare, probably the PII we have, whether it's customer employee data that does not need to be leaked out. So finding how to protect that data first and foremost. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good point, Dusty, but uh, where that becomes especially difficult and why this is not a, uh, not an overnight kind of project, you know, let's, let's use, let's use PII as the example and whether that's uh, health information or credit card numbers or employee information or customer information, it's, it's PII is PII. And you, you start to think through this and, okay, so that's the thing I need to care about most. Okay, where does that data live? Um, and then you identify the, the application where that, that data exists. And you identify the database server where the backend data lives. But that's not, that's not everything. Um, you know, that data flows into the application and it probably flows out of the application. And the next thing beyond just identifying that data is identifying the flow of the data. And what systems are accessing that data, what systems input the data, what systems output the data. Um, how does it flow across the network? Is that encrypted or is that something we need to monitor? What about what, you know, what firewalls does it flow through? Is the web app, is the application a web application that has uh, a proxy in front of it? Um, I think it's, it's more difficult, I think, than just identifying what the data is and you have to start mapping out all of the, all of the things that actually touch that data. The, the right. exercise it's that you Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say it's more of an initial question, I think. And then that leads to all the additional ones that you're getting into, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, that process, once, once you start going through that process, you have to start considering the, uh, the criticality of things. You know, one of the, one of the biggest um, initial steps of going through an audit is how do I minimize the scope of this audit as much as possible? And, you know, as you start to see all of the places that these that the data flows, even if it doesn't exist permanently there, um, you have to start ranking things. And how important is monitoring? Uh, you know, the application and the database are probably the most important things to monitor. But 
What about the, how important to you is it to monitor the desktop where, where employees enter that data or retrieve that data? Um, and, and the, it's, it's easy, it's easy to get into the trap of, well, all of it's critical. I have to care about all of it because that's, that's impractical, especially as you start out. But even as you grow, um, you can't care about everything to the same level and you have to start ranking it. And that kind of goes into your, your asset uh, management plan and, and which things are the most critical. And those are the things you have to focus on first. Yeah. And as we were talking about earlier, definitely having, you know, a list of assets will help immensely there. Well, and obviously if we're, if we're hypothetically making our own, our own sock here for sake of conversation, you know, do we have, do you have one team, like we mentioned before, doing all of that, you know, looking at the servers, looking at the network, looking at the, you know, trying to look at the information itself, or are you breaking it down? Is your, is your sock just going to be, you know, working out of a, a SIM product, you know, in our you know, such as Splunk or, or others to look at that information? Are they working with other teams? You know, where, what is, what is the limit on your SOC going to be? Which then kind of, uh, I think works into, like you were mentioning earlier, Steve, uh, you know, coverage, you know, are you, you always monitoring these servers 24 seven? Do you want to know the instant something happens? You know, can it wait? You know, how much of it, how big does your team need to be? I'm just trying to think, think of a, think of how we would be spinning up this hypothetical sock of ours. Also something to consider with that is contracting with a customer like uh, with a client like us, where if you can't provide the 24 seven coverage, that's one thing we do provide is 24 seven. So you don't have to worry about having that monitored all the time because you contract it out. Right. And again, and if you are contracting out, are you, you know, what level are you, are you kind of are you using that external service for? Is it something like, again, an initial triage? Is it something where that service will work all the events and, you know, give you the reason like, handle remediation as well and just give you the results or the reports um is it a hybrid between the two i think figuring out that delineation as well you know does it make more sense to include people that have tribal knowledge like steve said um in that process or to just take escalations uh from like let's say an initial triage you know figuring out that sweet spot uh for your environment i think is another important step you know, what other, what other tools do you need to work with? You know, do you have, do you have antivirus tools of your own? Do you, con- you know, do you contract out that for, as a service? You know, do you have network monitoring? Do you, uh, do you go outside for that? You know, do you have expertise within your company along those lines? Or do you need to basically bar- you know, buy it from the outside, uh, figuring out what the tools, what the, the software and hardware that you need uh, and where best to get that? goes hand in hand with what kind of staffing you're going to need internal or external as well. I think there's an interesting chicken or the egg problem here where you have to decide, do you, do you want to bring in people and let people choose their tools or do you want to choose the tools and bring in people to, to work with those? I mean, I think both of those are are good approaches. Um, And it kind of just depends on um, how quickly you're going to hire people. And, you know, are you high, do you have the budget to hire people with a lot of experience or are you, you know, is it something that you have to do uh, on the on the entry level side? And so you need to provide you need to make those decisions for them. Are you hiring level three analysts 
or are you hiring level one analysts really? And level three analysts, I think you can hire them and ha have them you know, select the tools themselves and level one analysts, you're gonna need to do that for them. And, and then you, uh, you know, it's really just evaluating the, data, the tools you have and what do you need on top of that? Can you repurpose a tool you already have to fill a new need? rather than uh, you know, spending budget on, on a new tool. Um, and I think that's, uh, especially if you're, a smaller, if you're a smaller company just starting out on this path, I think reusing the tools you have in some way so that you're not, um, you, know, you don't wanna have a day one sock budget that's uh, the same as somebody who's been doing this for 10 years because that's gonna be a huge uh, sticker shock to the business. And so what ways can you reuse what you have um, to accomplish your goals? prove value and then get the, the budget you need to start getting, you know, best in class tools uh, to fill those, those holes. I think, uh, I think another key point too, that I don't know if we touched on yet or not, uh, regardless of whether you're doing it all in, you know, in-house hybrid or, you know, externally is uh, documentation, lots and lots of documentation. You know, if, if you've run into a problem before, uh, you know, document what was done so you don't have to reinvent the wheel the next time it happens. Uh, if you've, you know, if you've used a tool um, or ha or seen a tool, you know, documenting that to see, you know, for future reference, whether it's uh, a new hire that you're, you're showing the ropes or, uh, you know, just an additional asset that your existing team can use, just avoiding brain drain if, you know, you have a, a hire that, that leaves and you have to replace them, you know, documenting both your network and your process and, you know, repeated, you know, issues that come up all the time, you know, of anything you can do to avoid having to, to repeat the, a process over and over, uh, I think is, is another big important part of any stock really. So documentation, documentation, documentation. Yeah. Documentation is really going to play off for like, say you get an alert for repeat failed logins for a user or um, some vulnerability scanner. Okay. So, this alert fired, what kind of steps do I have to follow or what steps were followed in past alerts that kind of guide me through this alert? Um, so documentation definitely is going to play a big role in that. Right, yeah, whether you call it like a knowledge base or you know, if it's through a ticketing system or you know, however, whatever works best for your environment. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's whatever works best is a good way to say that. Um, because it's it's whatever whatever you're going to use, right? Um, don't implement something brand new that nobody's ever used, and you're going to have a bunch of organizational resistance to using. Because you want this to be accessible to as many people in the organization as possible, because you need it to be up as up to date as possible. Um, so maybe you have some system already that you use, and you just piggyback on that. Maybe you find ways to import existing data into something new, but uh, it should definitely be something everybody can can readily access, readily update, and um, will actually use. Yeah, because out-of-date information isn't helping anybody, so. And the, yeah, this information changes daily. New things are added, new stuff is added to the environment, new notes need to be added. So it definitely needs to be something that's easily accessible. I would definitely agree. Yeah, and and the, the, the last thing I would say about documentation is not only is it something that you need to have make sure everybody can readily access, but you have to make sure everybody um, is always checking it because what what can happen a lot of the time is an analyst can get in the rut of I've handled this the same alert ten times this week. I don't need to read the documentation, but the eleventh time is when the documentation was updated to say 
um, you know, that this is a critical incident and needs to be escalated immediately. And um, if that's not, if, if, the, if the analyst isn't reading that documentation every time to see if something changed, um, you're putting yourself at risk of, again, operating on out-of-date information. I think that also plays into uh, communicating, communication with that documentation. So whether it's emails or some other type of communication to whoever is impacted that, hey, such and such changed and this is the new process. Um, just finding some way to control the spread of information easily so that it's not stuck in one person. Anything else that we could think of you might need to, let's say, build your own stack? Obviously, we've got figure out your staff, figure out your tools, figure out if you're doing it all by yourself, if you're getting some services externally, uh, document everything, um, figure out your, you know, figure out your, your environment and document that. So it ties back again and because it's so important, you know, into your assets and identities again, you know, what do you have? Who do you have? And then obviously figuring out uh, what your direction for detection and protection is, whether that's coming from an audit or from past experience. Uh, so you know what you should be looking at or what, what your important things to be looking at are, uh, which then can lead to what kind of data do you need? Um, and, you know, what can you see now? What are you missing? what do you need visibility to i know that's a that's a mouthful and a laundry list to go through but uh anything else that you think we might need to add as a things to think about for building your own sock i mean it, it's heavily customizable so obviously one solution is isn't going to fit every single company so like brian just said you, you're going to have to go through and play with different things like you know is this documentation uh, the way that we're handling it, is it working? Yes, no. If it is, great. If it's not, then get rid of it. Find a different solution for that. Um, is our desktop EDR system, uh, say for example, you know, is this antivirus, is this, is this working properly for us? Is it giving us the logs that we want? Um, if it is, again, great. If not, then swap it out. It's going to be a lot of playing with it if you're trying to rule your own SOC trial and error as it were all right well thank you for helping fill us in on SOC team nuances i uh, i appreciate you joining me today thanks for having us for sure and that's all for today if you're interested in partnering with an mssp you'll definitely want to check out our next podcast this same team will be coming back to talk about the best practices for building and maintaining an effective relationship with an MSSP. So stay tuned and we'll catch you next time. Bye.